One of the biggest personal finance concerns many people have faced over the years is dishonest advisors selling high-commission financial products to unsuspecting customers that can lock them in for years. Amber Waheed is one of them. The Dubai-based business strategist lost 80,000 US dollars after being duped by her advisor into signing up for a long-term investment she believed was low risk. It's a familiar, heartbreaking tale for many, but Amber decided to fight back and took a case to the UAE regulators, marking the first step in what turned out to be a landmark legal case in the UAE when her advisor was convicted of offering financial advice without a license. Since then, Amber has written a book about her experience in an effort to educate others about the dangers of financial advisors who are driven by nothing more than high commissions. Welcome to Pocketful of Dirhams. I'm Felicity Glover, the personal finance editor at The National. Joining me today is Amber Waheed, the author of the recently released The Great Fraud Fightback, which documents her successful fight for justice in the UAE courts after losing her life savings. Welcome to the show, Amber. Hello, thank you so much for having me. This is great. In terms of financial services and advisors, it's such an important subject. Definitely. I mean, you know, I've been writing about the mis-selling of financial products for quite some time in the UAE, and it is a massive issue here. But like many people, you were duped by an advisor who invested in high-risk funds despite your original instructions. Can you tell us how that happened and when it happened? Well, I started to think about investing, you know, for the same reason as everyone else back in 2010. The global financial crisis of 2008 obviously cost tens of millions of people their savings. And as interest rates fell, putting money in the bank no longer paid dividends. And the property market was also affected and unstable as housing prices were plummeting. And for many, the priority is to save as much of their earnings as possible and invest them in a long-term future, whether that involves protection for their families, school or university fees, or a retirement home. So as savings were nil, people had to do something about the future and buy financial security. You know, a monthly income alone was not going to give us that security. We had to consider investing. And that led to people like myself turning to the financial advisory industry. And that's how I was introduced to to Neil Grant as an independent financial advisor. Okay, so Neil Grant was your advisor. When you first met him, was there anything that may have set your alarm bells ringing? Oh, not at all. I mean, Grant's background was that he arrived in Dubai with his wife in the late 1990s from Scotland. You know, they had four young sons and the family settled into the expat community. So speaking for me, I became his client simply because he had been recommended to me from a good friend I trusted explicitly. You know, in Dubai, as you know, you become friends like families. A famous hashtag in the Emirate where experts are away from home and thereby their social circle and friends become the second family. And I soon realized that most of my circle had indeed signed up with Grant and had worked with him for years. And so to me, Grant presented a um, trustworthy figure, enough for me to part with my money and invest in long-term low-risk investments. You know, he, he appeared to be a family man. His wife was the Martha Stewart type, and she was heavily involved in the local charities and the kids' schools. There was no alarm bells 
whatsoever. And of course, he'd been in Dubai at that point for um, more than 10 years. So, you know, he ticked all the boxes for me. Absolutely. And I think, I mean, it is easy to to fall for these sorts of things. I mean, the advisors have pretty much got very good soft skills, I think you could say. But how much money did you invest and how long was it before you realised something was wrong? So I started investing with him back in 2010 and I agreed to sign up to four different plans and to invest £100,000 initially. So first he advised me to open an offshore bank account, which at the time was called Anglo-Irish, then to invest in a short-term five-year vision life insurance policy in Guernsey. So that was monthly installments over the five years that amounted to £10,000. And then a long-term offshore trust in Jersey, where the minimum amount required to open such a trust was £50,000. And he also recommended a pension policy in the UK um, worth 40000 that never came to fruition due to an admin error on behalf of his office. So the total amount I ended up investing with him was 60000 So that was your life savings? Yeah, that's, that's, how, that's my you know, savings that I had um, accumulated um, up until that point. And I thought, you know, I've got to do something about my future. And um, as I said, a monthly income alone was not going to secure that. So I thought, you know, I was doing the smart thing. Well, initially, it all seemed to be going well. You know, I was receiving the financial valuation statements every quarter, which I admittedly just looked at the bottom line, the overall value. Is it going up? Is it going down? And then I would just put it to one side. And I'm thinking all is going well. And my future financial security is taken care of. And then suddenly, I started... um, I was losing a lot of money rapidly and there was no rhyme or reason as to why because the the investment funds were meant to be low risk and long term. Some fluctuation was expected, but suspension and collapse of funds, you know, how was that even possible? And I learned that I was one of several of his clients to suffer substantial losses. And we're talking about five and six figure losses, you know, kids' education, the university part, retirement and pension pots, all disappearing. What did you do when you realized that the funds were collapsing and and being suspended? Initially, you know, the early conversations that we were all having individually with Grant, you know, we had no reason to suspect him of anything. You know, there was nothing suspicious, but he had no real intelligent explanation. There was no science behind what he was saying and offering as a way of an explanation due to the unstable market. I mean, what does that exactly mean? I'm expecting him to be more detailed than that and and more informed. And so I wasn't suspicious of Neil Grant at this point. I just felt that he wasn't managing our finances well. He's taken his eye off the ball. And I wanted like proper answers on the state of my investments. What did you do next? I mean, if he wasn't providing you with, you know, proper explanations, um, what uh, recourse did you have? I initially thought there was no answer. You know, there's nothing I can do about it. And so you believed him. You believed what he was saying in a way? Oh, yeah, totally. First of all, he was a friend. He'd been strongly recommended to me. Um, and I had no reason to suspect him really of anything. So there was no suspicion about him or any misconduct on his part. But I just wanted answers. And um, at the time, I didn't know how the financial advisory industry worked or how to describe it. I had zero experience on finance and local laws and of this world. 
And I also had no relationships within it that I could call upon for advice. And this is what freezes people. If people are not educated about what the issues and what their options are, they feel and they are powerless. That was the problem here. And the only financial entity in Dubai that I was aware of was the Dubai Financial Services Authority, the DFSA. So I started there and I thought they could at least help to point me in the right direction if there was one. And so when I approached them, I had no idea what exactly I was pursuing. Again, it was just, do you mind taking a look at my portfolio? So Amber, after you went to the DFSA and the other regulators, what did you learn from them? I mean, how did you understand that um, Neil Grant was a rogue operator? Conversations with the local regulators, first with the DFSA and then the insurance authority was the pivotal point. And that's when we discovered words such as startup, short-term, high-risk, illiquid, you know, each word like hitting us like a train. It's exactly what we asked Grant not to invest, you know, our money in. And I learned then that instead of placing my cash in conservative long-term investment plans, as I had requested, he is my financial advisor, piled my money into risky alternatives, promising him greater commissions. And then this led to research with the DED on Grant's license. And that's when we realized he was misusing his license. He had set up Prosperity Management Consultancy, but he was unable to obtain a financial advisory services license. He deceptively traded as Prosperity Offshore Investment Consultants to make investors think they were an investment company. So in legal terms, this is license fraud. But in our case, there was another layer to this. We had been given what we considered bad advice by grant on which funds to sign up to. And that this advice was provided predominantly on the basis of generating commission for grant, where the the funds recommended generated high commissions for him. And this advice had left us with long-term policies, some for 25-year terms, that were making considerable losses. And in legal terms, this layer amounted to criminal behavior, a more sinister, uh, serious type of fraud. So we discovered these were all high-risk investments for short-term gains. The risk is that the funds can be suspended and illiquid at any given time. The funds that Neil Grant selected for me were startup companies that were always going to be high-risk as you're investing in something new that has no history or record. You're basically, you're looking for a Google in a haystack of billions. Now, add to that, we discovered that Neil Grant and his companies did not hold the correct trading license. Now, traditional blue chip companies conduct business with registered, licensed, regulated companies and individuals who hold the correct qualifications. Any proper due diligence on Neil Grant and his companies would expose the reality that prosperity was not licensed, nor did it have the the competence in investment, financial advisory, or any fiduciary role. So he purposely conducted business with new companies in need of immediate investment or who did not have the sophisticated knowledge of the correct Dubai governing bodies and laws, such as DED and the insurance authority. On top of that, 
Neil Grant and his companies were not regulated, you know, despite his marketing collateral and profile stating otherwise. So companies outside of DIFC are regulated by the Insurance Authority for insurance-based products and by the Securities and Commodities Authority, the SCA, for investment-based products. And he wasn't regulated by any of them. Right. So when you discovered this, is this when you went to the police and, and reported the case, your case? Yes. The next step was to take all, all this information that we had gathered and then to um, open a criminal case against him and basically stop him from leaving Dubai and to have a proper investigation into him and his, his business, his companies. In a landmark case for the UAE, your advisor was convicted of operating without a license. How tough was that legal fight and what did you learn from it? There are many fraud cases, of course, and the stuff that hit you know, the prosecution's desk was grand and dramatic and of, you know, of a multi-million dollar nature, but not of the advisory nature and certainly not of the kind where I voluntarily given the money and there's no contract in place between Grant and I, you know, virtually no paper trail. I had no evidence of commission and fees that Grant was paid because he was paid directly from the financial institutions, from my trust in the policies that were held with them. So his earnings are not coming from my outside pocket, from my inside pocket. So it was a big challenge to get this case through the system. It was the biggest challenge. And the book describes how we managed to convince the various authorities, you know, first the police and then the public prosecution, that there is a crime here and a very serious crime that is affecting a lot of people. Some people are not even aware of it, that they are being scammed. Amber, you've now written the great fraud fight back, which documents your journey and fight for justice. What was your aim in writing the book? Well, the book is essentially about my entire experience of investing with a rogue financial advisor and taking him to court in Dubai, first in criminal and then pursuing damages in civil. But as the case unravels and as I start to understand the industry and how it works, I realize there's a much wider crime at play. And then my story um, reveals how rogues fit into a bigger international picture. You know, rogues cannot operate alone. Technically, it's not possible. And the key question I was constantly faced was how did Grant manage to operate within the industry for so long without a financial advisory license? I mean, yes, he could get away with conning the naive, trusting person on the street, but the industry itself, you know, it's like a doctor operating without a medical license or a lawyer without a legal license. Clients are none the wiser, but the hospitals and the law firms have to perform due diligence on those licenses. So Grant, therefore, would have needed help with his setup in Dubai, you know, his operation could not have been accomplished unless it was supported by some people within the industry itself. And so when we started digging into Grant's professional life, we started pulling out all these people and entities that were linked to him. And then we realized that this chart could go off like a spider web, an international spider web that was part of the story. And Grant was a very small piece in a huge network. And, and that's when I realized that this is not a random case. And most people are not quite sure how they've been scammed. It doesn't just involve the financial advisor. There are partners who are working with them that enable this scam. And this book explains how they work together and reveals the plots and traps, the legal loopholes and technicalities. And because there are so many parties involved, it blurs 
the lines of who is ultimately responsible for victims losing their investment. And it's, it's simply because of the planning that went into the way these partnerships were, were entered into. The aim of the book was to write it to a general reader who knows nothing about the financial advisory industry and who wants to learn more about it before they start investing and how they can protect themselves. But it's also an educational piece for victims of financial advisory fraud and how exactly they were scammed because it's not black and white. It's very clever. And um, what legal recourses they have available to them. So by the time the reader reaches the end of the book, they know what they can and cannot do about their situation. It's the not knowing um, that freezes people. If people are not educated about the issues and, and what their options are, they feel and they are powerless. And that was the problem with this case. As experts, we didn't know where to start. Most importantly, I do hope it saves people a few heartaches. While it is too late for some, because some legal cases, for example, are time-bound, which is another technicality that they use in this industry, I am hopeful that highlighting this particular case will prevent other vulnerable, trusting people being exploited in similar ways and prevent similar tragedies. Amber, you praise the UAE regulators and for you know being instrumental in you winning your case. How does the UAE jurisdiction measure up against international jurisdictions? Well, like many people, we are led to believe that financial advisory fraud is a big issue here in the UAE. It is. But from my experience, I learned it's a universal problem. It just so happens that my story is in Dubai. The ripple effect of the media coverage of the court cases that began with the national has been massive. And we learned that this case was not just limited to Neil Grant or Dubai or the UAE. This, this type of deception recurs with alarming frequency everywhere. And, you know, it's so easy for financial experts here to point the finger and blame things on what they say is a poorly regulated framework. You know, a simple question is who is exploiting them? You know, my experience has shown that you will find rogues all around the world, no matter how tightly regulated the framework is and looks. You know, I've had exposure to what is perceived as a poorly regulated framework and what is perceived to be a more sophisticated regulated framework. And the truth is, there will always be people ready to exploit other people, no matter which framework they are operating in. And the government regulators who should have been protecting the citizens had done nothing in these sophisticated regulated frameworks. The, the, most, challenging, the most challenging part for me was to get them to take action, any sort of action, they were ready to kill any argument I made. And so my story uncovers a much more pervasive problem globally. You know, this is society as a whole today. This is a universal problem. Yes, but overall, you found the UAE regulators to be much more helpful in your case. Absolutely. As I said, I started with the DFSA. They pointed me in the direction of the insurance authority. They called Neil Grant in front of me and they asked him questions about his operation. And they directed me to the police. So I got great support from, from the UAE regulators. Since all of this has happened, of course, the UAE Insurance Authority last year unveiled new regulations to improve how savings investment and life insurance policies are sold in an effort to protect consumers from being missold, you know, these financial products. Do you think that your case has helped uh, the authorities uh, understand um, just what was happening? 
I learned now during my court case that there have always been conversations about issuing new regulations in the UAE around financial incentives. And my case, certainly the way it was reported, a successful criminal conviction followed by a civil order of damage that led to an avalanche of victims coming forward and voicing their distress at their experiences and losses, certainly that combination, I think, helped escalate those conversations. You know, there's power in more than one person. There's definitely strength in numbers. Absolutely. I mean, I I just would hate to think how many people uh, have been affected by this over the years. Um, it's It's been going on for so long. I also think the, the new regulations will definitely help. Well, one of the reasons I pursued Neil Grant was that, to me, I do not believe it to be fair after pouring money into investments, you know, for this length of time and these contributions and these assurances for victims to be left with nothing and for the rogue financial advisors to be left with everything. It was happening way too often with no punishment whatsoever. It had become a joke, an open crime. And the sad truth is that for a certain group of people, financial advisory fraud is now so normal, so utterly unremarkable that they feel they can do it wherever and whenever they please without the slightest sense of embarrassment or accountability. But after your experience and everything that you've learned, what's your advice for victims of financial advisory fraud? I have met many victims and some people know they can't put themselves through a court case financially, mentally and physically or they've reached a point in their life, usually near or at retirement, where they just don't want to do it. They know their limits and it's fair enough. And others cannot subject themselves to being scrutinized and blamed all over again in the courts. At the end of the day, everyone is doing the best they can under their circumstances. And I think it is important for victims of financial advisory fraud to decide at which point they feel that they can walk away from the experience, that they don't look back on this point in their lives and regret that they didn't take some action and feel that they didn't do enough. Some people decide to take the financial hit, put the experience down to an important life lesson, swallow the bitter pill, and they move on with their lives completely. However, most people are not able to do that. They try and move on from the experience, but every time they hear about a scam, it reignites within them, those feelings of betrayal and that maybe they didn't do enough to try and get their money back. And it always burns inside of them. It's a, it's a horrible way to live. And others decide you know, to fight back and redirect matters to a court of law because it's purely a matter of principle to them. And they want to remove a rogue from the industry to protect other people and ultimately get their money back. So it's when something means something to you and it connects with you. Amber, what would you tell victims of financial advisory fraud? Are there self-help groups out there, for example, that could help them? There are support groups out there, and I have put one together. So if somebody wants to reach out, they can contact me um, on info at businesssculpting.com. And I would be happy to help um, anyone either emotionally, um, what they're going through, or with some technical information that can help support um, their cases. Amber, thank you very much for joining us this week. I think that you've become an unofficial hero of victims of financial advisory in the UAE. Thank you so much and for your support. Stay safe and healthy and well. 
Thank you this week to Amber Waheed, author of The Great Fraud Fight Back. If you would like advice on your personal finance issues, you can write to me at pfatthenational.ae. And remember, PF stands for personal finance. Please do subscribe to Pocketful of Dirhams on your podcasting app to receive weekly updates. And also leave us a review so we know what you think. This episode was produced by Arthur Edison, and I've been your host, Felicity Glover. Oh,